Thank you, worship team. Good morning. Good to see you this morning. As, as Corey said, uh, a lot of our men are at a men's retreat this weekend, so uh, you notice an unbalanced amount of ladies in the room. That's, that's why. Uh, but I was asked to preach, and my name's Stephen Elliott, and I'm the pastor of high school ministries here at Grace, and it's good to be here. It's good to be together, and it's really great to be able to stop and pause and open God's Word together and, and talk about it. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue talking about the, the parables of Jesus. If you're, if you're new here, or um, maybe it's been a while since you've been here, we've been going throughout the summer, we've been going through the, the different parables of Jesus, and so we're going to continue that this morning, and we're going to be looking at the parable of the true vine, which is in John 15 verses 1 through 8. So if you've got your Bibles, you can open up there, and I'll read from that in just a minute. Uh, but before we, we leap into this text, I want to uh, take just a minute. Well, first of all, let me say I, I love it when Jesus talks about, uses agricultural terms, because we understand agriculture, right? Being in the valley, uh, we're going to be talking about the, the true vine, or it's a grapevine, uh, anybody need me to show you a picture of what a grapevine looks like? <laughs> okay, good. Because <laughs> I don't have one on hand. Um, I'm glad no one raised their hand. But right, we, we understand that, right? We know what they look like. We drive past them, probably many of us every day in some way. Uh, some of you may have them in your house. We, we get it, right? And I love it when, when Jesus talks about agriculture. I love talking out of some of these verses because you understand it as well. Uh, well, you're really no different than Jesus' original audience in that sense. Jesus uses the illustration of, of a grapevine because his listening audience didn't need him to like point to one. He didn't need them to say like, you know, none of them said, oh, wait, what's Jesus? What's that? Uh, they, all, they all got it. It was very likely that he may have even been in the midst of a grape vineyard when he taught. Or, as we'll, we'll see in just a minute, um, looking at, a, the, at the, in the temple where many of the Jews came to worship, there was this massive uh, image of a grapevine. And we'll, we'll talk about that more in a sec. But, uh, you know, it's possible that they were even, even near that. So, we, we get agriculture, and I love that part of Jesus' lessons. And, but before we leap into this text, I want to take just a minute, and I want to define a very crucial word for you uh, that I think is, is important for this morning, important for you to understand this morning's message, and that's the word abide. In, in the, the eight verses that we will read Jesus uses the word abide seven times. Uh, some of you, depending on the translation maybe of the Bible that you have in front of you, uh, he may be using the word remain. Uh, it's the exact same Greek word, and some of the translators translate it differently. But what it means is it has several uh, different definitions in our English language. Uh, it could mean to stay, uh, to continue, to remain somewhere, uh, to live in a place, to reside or maybe we use the phrase put down roots, right? You know, when we move in somewhere, we're going we're gonna to put down roots somewhere. It means we're, gonna, we're going to abide there. We're going to remain there a long time. It's not a temporary place. And Jesus, as I said, uses it multiple times. Now, in, to give you just a quick tip, uh, when, you're, when you're reading your Bible, and if you see that an author uses, reuses a word multiple times, 
that's in many ways, and oftentimes that's their way of drawing emphasis to that word. Uh, we do the same thing when we maybe send a text message or an email or something like that. And if we want to emphasize something, we maybe write in all caps, right? Or we underline or we put it in bold font or we make it in a much bigger font than, than, we, than what we're typing in. Does anyone ever send you an email and they send it in all caps and you're like, stop yelling at me in, my, in this email. Um, I don't know if you ever get those or not, but they're really annoying to read because uh, you feel like you're being yelled at. Uh, in, our, in our language, that's how we draw emphasis. Well, a lot of times in the, in the uh, New Testament writers, they emphasize a word by repeating it. And as we'll see here, Jesus is emphasizing the word abide. And so uh, with that, and as with that background introduction, we'll we'll read this text. Uh, Again, it's John 15, verses 1 through 8. Jesus says this. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Uh, as I said, and if you were counting, he uses the word abide seven times. So it's probably no guess, right, what Jesus is trying to call his listeners to do, what he is commanding them to do. And that's what I love about this, this section is because that is the one clear command to the believers, to the listeners, is abide. This section of scripture is incredibly rich and challenging theologically. And I wish I had hours to go over it and to really just unpack everything that Jesus is saying. But uh, we don't have hours. Uh, anyone want to stay here a couple hours? No? Okay, good. <laughs> But I don't want us to, with the time we have, I don't want us to lose sight of the main point that Jesus is trying to make, the main main emphasis that he is trying to drive home to his listeners. The main thing that he is, the main point that he is making, the truth that he is driving home to his audience. And that's the main point this morning. It's in your your notes, and uh, if you're taking notes, uh, we'll be filling those out in just a minute. But your main point is abide in Christ so that your life will glorify God. Again, in this section, this is the one command to the listeners, and that is to abide, to remain, to stay, to dwell, uh, to put down roots in Christ. And we'll look at exactly what that means. Uh, To illustrate maybe in in a different way, uh, have you ever had somebody come and visit you for maybe a a week or a weekend or maybe just a day, uh, and you love them to death, but when they go, it's, it's kind of nice because 
you know, life gets back to normal a little bit. Uh, maybe imagine if that, you know, family, maybe it's, maybe it's some relatives or something, and they, you know, you know when they come to visit, all of the breakable things get put away, or everything that's in reach of small, tiny hands gets put way, way out of reach, because, uh, you know, and you, you prepare yourself for that, right? You prepare for them, for them to come for the weekend, and you love it, but you like it as well when life gets back to normal, when your home is kind of the way it normally is. Um, Imagine, though, that you, you know, that, you know they're coming for the weekend and, you, you know, they, they show up at your door and you realize that there's a moving van. They've brought a moving van and it's parked in your driveway and they say, guess what? We're actually going to stay a little longer. I think we'll put down roots here. Uh, you would be like, oh. <laughs> that would be a little, <laughs> my worst nightmare is coming true. Um, that's, the, there's, a, there's a huge difference there because... Spending a weekend is much different than abiding, because abiding is permanent. We, the, the noun form of the word abide is abode, right? You say, oh, welcome to my humble abode. Uh, it's, a, it's a permanent dwelling place. And so when Christ calls his disciples, calls his listeners, abide in me, he is saying, let me have permanent residence in your life. Let me, let my presence in your life be an ongoing, a regular, a daily, moment by moment, minute by minute thing. He doesn't say, you know, oh, walk through the doors of your church once a week, spend an hour with me, and then you're good to go. That's not what abiding means, and that's not what it looks like. And so this morning we will unpack a little bit more what abiding really means and what it looks like. Your first point, if you're if you're taking notes, is this. We abide in him as we choose to follow him. We abide in him as we choose to follow him. The call to abide in Christ is crucial. It is essential. You can't read statements like, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Or this one, if you, anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And wonder if it's really that vital, that important that we abide in Christ. It's absolutely essential. So we need to understand it. And we understand that as when we abide in him, we choose to follow him. What does that mean? Uh, let, me, let me give you a little background. As I, as I mentioned a minute ago, the, the Jews understood the picture of a grapevine. Uh, it wasn't just that it was a common plant in the area, although it was. It was actually a lot more than that for the Jews. The Jews understood that the image of the grapevine was in many ways symbolic and was representative of them as a nation and of them as a people. At the, at the, at the top of the temple, in Jerusalem, which was the, the central place of worship, there was this massive image of a, of a grapevine. And Jews, and it was actually, it would actually grow, and artisans would actually add to it on a regular basis. Uh, wealthy Jews would bring, their, would bring their jewelry or their gold, and they would bring it and, to the temple, and it would be melted down, and actually artisans would add to the, you know, they would add clusters of grapes that they would make out of this golden um, you know, out of, out of this golden grapevine. And they did this because it was symbolic of them as the people. Uh, in Isaiah 5, 
God is speaking, and he says, What more was there to do for my vineyard, speaking of the nation of Israel, that I have not done for that I've not done in it? When I looked for it and to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. In Psalm 80, verse 4, it said, You brought a vine out of Egypt, out of Egypt, you drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. So you see, there's, and, and this was common in writers and, and the, you know, the rabbis of this day, they would refer, when they would refer to the grapevine, they were referring to the nation of Israel. Um, maybe somewhat of a connection would be if, you know, we talk about maybe use a, a picture of an oak tree or a giant sequoia or maybe a citrus tree. Uh, sometimes we see that in, in, you know, patches and things like that. Those are symbolic of us as a community of Visalia or Tulare County. So you see the grapevine and the vineyard were used in teaching, and the Jews understood that the, that the teacher was talking about them. They saw themselves as God's grapevine. Because up until this point, the nation of Israel had seen, the true, had seen that they were the true vine. They thought that they were the channel. They were the people through which God was working in the world. They thought that they, by being Jewish, and by holding on to the law, that they were the true vine. And so even though Jesus' words, what Jesus talked about, the grapevine, even though they saw that this, um, even though they understood quickly that, you know, what a grapevine looked like, Jesus' use of it would have been shocking to the Jews. They would have, it would have caused them to stop and do a double take, you know, like, wait, what did you just say? Because Jesus didn't say, you know, us, you, the Jews, you are the true vine. He stopped, he, he, completed it. He ended that and said, I actually, Jesus, I am the true vine. He's saying, I am the source. He's saying, only those connected to me are a part of the true vine. Only they honor the Father. He is only glorified by those who are connected to me and do works through me. So this was radical to the people listening. They would have, like I said, they would have been shocked because Jesus is saying, no longer are you, the nation of Israel, the true vine, but I, Jesus, I am the true vine. He's telling them that their national heritage, their genetics, have no relevance on their connection to the Father. So why do I bring this up? I fear too often that church attendees in America have the exact same belief that Jesus' original audience did. Church attendees believe that they are Christians, that they abide in Christ, that they are Christ followers because they were born into a Christian family, because they, in a sense, have the right genetics. I fear too often church attendees feel that because they went through the right ceremony, they are in, that they are Christ followers. Others believe that because they mentally have the right thoughts about God, because they hold on to the right doctrine that they are true Christians. Some believe that because they prayed a prayer, that that was it, that that made them Christ followers. Friend, listen, should we hold to the two true doctrines, to the true beliefs about who God is? Absolutely. Should we pray to receive Christ as our Savior? Absolutely. Should we hold to the true knowledge of God? Yes. Should we be baptized? Yes. But going through the motions doesn't mean anything unless you really mean it, unless you really believe it about the true person of Jesus Christ. Unless you are really following Jesus Christ, 
you are not a follower of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. Unless you are ongoing following Jesus Christ, you are not a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus called his disciples. He said, hey, drop what you're doing. Stop what you're doing and follow me. His disciples didn't say, oh yeah, and they just went right back to what they were doing and said, oh yeah, but I'm, I'm following Jesus. No, they actually literally stopped what they were doing and they changed, their, they changed everything about them. Did they follow Christ perfectly? Absolutely not. But they were moving in the right direction. That's what I'm saying. It's not the perfection. It's the direction of following Christ. Jesus gives no weight to those empty actions of the religious Jews. He is emphasizing here that only those branches who abide in him are truly his. They are only the ones who produce fruit which honors God. That's why I say that unless you are following Jesus, you are not a follower of Jesus. Um, there's an ongoing joke in our, in our staff at, here at, at church uh, that I'm a, a sports fan. Uh, to be perfectly honest, I'm, I'm not. Uh, I often say that there's, you know, when asked, I'll say, oh yeah, I'm a fan of this team and this team. And um, on, on Monday mornings, usually a lot of the guys, I've, I've kind of started following some of the stats of football and things like that because on Monday mornings, they all get around and they talk about, you know, oh, did you see this game? Da, 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 da. Talk about all these players and I feel like I'm totally lost. And so to contribute in the conversation, I like get the very basic information and I like, you know, weigh in with just the stats I just quickly read up on the internet. And, um, you know, usually Eric Putman will tease me and he'll say, oh, really, you're a fan? You're a fan of this team? And I go, yeah, I'm a fan. And I, you know, I, I root for this team, I guess. But the fact is, is I don't, I don't really care if that team that I root for wins or loses. It doesn't really affect my day. Um, I really don't watch games a whole lot. But he always goes, oh, really? You're a fan? Of, yeah, yeah, I'm a fan. And he goes, really? Name two players. And I'm like, okay, uh, hang on. Let me go look at the internet really quick. <laughs> or I'll name, like, the key quarterback, like the one that's always talked about. He goes, okay, great, name another one. And I'm like, no, no, that's not. <laughs> okay, it's true, I'm not a fan. Listen, many of us say that we are followers of Christ, maybe because of something we, we, we believed a long time ago, so maybe because of something we lived out a long time ago, but it really doesn't have any influence on us now. Maybe because of something we said a long time ago. Let me ask you, are you really following Christ? Are you abiding in him? Do you let his life and his words direct your life and your words? Are you actively learning from him? Are you a student of Jesus Christ. Not student as in like, you know, I know all the right facts. I could pass the test. But a student in the sense of, man, he is my everything. He is my guide. I mimic my life after him. Are you actively learning from him? Do you love him? Do you worship and adore and cherish him? Or do you just say that you're a follower of him because of what, that's what you've always said. Because that's what was done a long time ago. Again, None of us follow Christ perfectly, but what's the direction of your life? Uh, in reference to this text, John Piper says in his book, uh, his book is called What Jesus Demands of the World. He says this, a transaction from Jesus in the past that has no ongoing expression in our lives was a false transaction. When Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, which is John eight thirty one, he meant that if we don't abide, we are not truly his disciples. And the opposite of true disciples is false disciples. That's what we are if we count on past experiences without ongoing devotion to Jesus. 
Secondly, if you're taking notes, we abide in him as we draw our life from him. We abide in him as we draw our life from him. The command for the believer, the the do this command for the Christian in in this section is not to bear fruit. And that's important to realize. There is one command in this text, and that is to abide in him. And what that means, what that looks like is that we draw our life from him. Why is it that people claim Christ is their Lord? They claim Christ is their everything, but the source of their joy comes from their entertainment. The source of their satisfaction comes from their stuff. The source of their personal security comes from their friends or people that like them. Or maybe the source of their security comes from the current political situation. The source of their peace comes from their wealth or the source of their um, or the source of their peace maybe comes from their relationship status. Why is it that the source of their strength comes only from themselves? The source of their worth and value comes only from their actions and their their ethics. When Jesus calls us to abide in him, he is calling us to make him the source of all of those things. He is calling on us to make him the source of truth, uh, to make him the source of our truth, to trust that all of our joy, all of our peace, all of our security, all of our value, all of our worth comes only from him and him alone. The phrase Jesus plus nothing equals everything illustrates exactly what abiding in Christ is. Let me repeat that. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That is what abiding in Christ looks like. Furthermore, drawing our life from him means that we trust that he genuinely loves and forgives us and accepts us. It means that we trust that we don't have to show him how good we are for him to be like, you know, okay, you know, you, you've done a lot of bad stuff, but you're trying to, you know, it's like this balance, the scales. No, it means when we abide in him, it means that we trust that when he says we are loved and we are forgiven completely, that we are. We trust that we don't have to try and earn his favor or his acceptance or his love, that he gives that out freely. Abiding in him means that we do things in his strength, not our own. I can't tell you how often I do this. I can't tell you how often I say to the Lord, don't worry about it, Lord. I got it. I can take care of it. Now, I am not so bold as to say that actually with my words, but I do it with my actions all the time. I can't tell you how many times I come to work or I show up here on a Sunday morning or I interact with people and I, I think I can, I can lean on my own experience to get me through this. I can do this in my own strength, in my own power. I can do this on my own gifts and abilities uh, I don't really need to ask the Lord for help on this one. I don't really need to, to seek the Lord's wisdom. I'm, I'm smart enough on my own. I can take care of this, Lord. Again, I don't say that with my words, but I sure do think it with my, and, and do it with my actions. Abiding in Christ means that we stop doing that, we, that we stop saying, Lord, I got this. It means that we stop and we say, Lord, I need you to get this. I can't do this on my own. I need you to take care of me. 
Um, maybe an illustration to, to, to illustrate it is a, a hose. Every one of us has turned on a hose at some point, whether you work in um, irrigation and you, know, you work with those massive valves that just floods whole fields, or whether you go to wash your car and you just turn on a little hose on the side of your house. Uh, we often say, hey, could you turn the water on for me? We all know and understand that we don't actually turn the water on. The, the water presence and the water's pressure is always there, right? Unless, of course, you don't pay your water bill. It's, it's always there. What we simply do is we just release the valve that keeps the water stopped up, right? When we turn on the hose, we are just opening up the hose and letting the source, letting the water flow out from it. When we abide in Christ, we are simply opening up our lives and letting his life flow out of us. Uh, going back to the illustration that Jesus uses of the branch, if you're, if you're you know, in your yard and you're working on trees and you see that there's a nice healthy tree with lots of fruit in it and there's one section that's brown and dead and has rotting fruit attached to it, you're going to look at that branch and you're going to see, all right, where did it break, right? Because you realize that the source, that the life of the tree is not flowing into that branch, that it's broken at somewhere. Folks, we, we have to let the life of Christ flow through us because we can't produce fruit on our own. On our own, we can do nothing. We have nothing to honor and to bring to God. We have to let his life flow and move and come out of us. So what does it look like? What do I, what do I mean when I say that we need to draw our life from Christ? Listen, it's a day-by-day, day, it's a moment-by-moment moment thing. It's continually coming back to the Lord. I was talking actually in, to someone in first service and they were saying how, you know, oh man, I, it's so hard to abide in Christ because every time I think I'm trying to, I'm trying to do something on my own, I realize, oh God, it's hard. Lord, I'm not abiding in you. Listen, by realizing that you're not abiding in Christ and coming back to him and saying, oh Lord, I'm sorry, that's abiding in Christ. That's recognizing his presence in our life. It's done in simple, basic phrases like this. Lord, I need you. That's abiding in Christ. Lord, help me. Lord, please forgive me. I realize I've sinned against you. Lord, help me to trust in you. And this is something, again, that you do daily. When you wake up in the morning and as you go to bed at night, not just in the, in the heat of difficulties, but in the moment by moment. Uh, William MacDonald said in his excellent, a, there's a single volume commentary I encourage you all to get. It. It's called The Believer's Bible Commentary. Um, it's, one, it's one volume that covers the whole Bible. But he says this, It's not a question of the branch living its life for the vine, but simply of letting the life of the vine flow through the branches. Sometimes we pray, Lord, help me to live my life for you. It would be better to pray, Lord Jesus, live out your life through me. You ever have a job or a task you do that somehow takes three times longer than you're, it's supposed to normally take because things like tend to go wrong in those tasks, whether you're like fixing dinner for your, your kids and somehow a plate gets dropped and you have to stop what you're doing and you clean it and then you burn dinner and then you have to you know, put out the fire and it's like, this was supposed to take 15 minutes and now I've just spent an hour doing that. I had, I had that several times this week. I, I got a flat tire and in all the years I've owned my truck, I've never had a flat tire. And so I went to, I thought, oh, no big deal. I've changed tires before. It doesn't take that long. I know how to do it. And so I went to go get the tools that come standard with your vehicle. And apparently, 
The person who sold me my vehicle felt it was necessary to take the tire changing tools out of the vehicle, and so I didn't have them. So I had to like, oh God, it took forever. It was so frustrating. And in, in, the, mo- in the heat of it, I was like grumbling a lot. And I started throwing out phrases like, oh, this is typical. This figures, you know, didn't want to spend my whole evening doing this. And grumble, grumble, grumble. And I was just frustrated and I had to like reach way up in the car. Oh man, I was so mad. And I had to stop. I mean, any, anybody can relate with that? Anyone ever been in a situation? Okay. Um, and I had to stop it several times and I had to think, Lord, I am only focusing about myself on myself in this situation. I am not, I, you're not even on my mind right now, Lord. I am, I am sorry because this, this message was on my mind and I think, how can I teach this message when I'm not even living it out? And I had to stop and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I I've never even had a flat tire in this truck. Thank you for that. Thank you for even giving me this truck, Lord. This comes from you. And I, it's, it's, it's an ongoing thing. It's something we struggle and we wrestle with, but it's a moment-by-moment moment thing. Another illustration, this is something I do far too often. Uh, you know, sometimes in, in the evenings when I sit down, I try and I, I want to do my devotions, uh, and I, I open up my Bible, and too often I, I sit down in my chair, and it's just a thing I check off my to-do list. Anyone ever been there? Uh, I sit down, and I open my Bible, just no different than I open up the newspaper, and I start reading, and I, I put in my time, and I, I close it, and I on to the next thing, and I think, Lord, where were you even in that? I think at no point did I actually stop and try and say, Lord, teach me from your words. Speak to me. Guide me. That's what abiding in Christ looks like. It's, it's the day-to-day, moment-by-moment, seeking God as the source of your life, as the source of the wisdom. At no point, too often, at no point do I stop and say, Lord, I'm opening your word. Guide me. Direct me. Speak to me through it. It's not about just like putting your time and reading the words on the page. It's about abiding in Christ and letting his life flow into yours. We do not abide in him and his word by sitting in this seat on Sunday morning, putting in our time and checking out like we're punching in and punching out of a time clock. We abide when we listen, when we engage our minds, when we consider what we're hearing, when we dwell on it, when we meditate on the things that are said, and when we put it into practice. That's what abiding in Christ looks like. We abide when we open our lives, ourselves up to him and allow him to speak to us by recognizing that without him, we are nothing. I'm reading uh, this devotion. It's just a, it's old school. It was actually printed in the 50s, which sometimes I think are some of the best, uh, some of the best writings. And I was reading this devotion, and the author says, many Christians, unfortunately, um, he's talking about the peace that comes when we, when we abide in Christ. He says, many Christians, unfortunately, know little of the reality of this peace because their hearts are fearful and anxious. Why? Because there is so little of Christ in their lives. Their hearts are crammed and cluttered with worldly lusts. There is no room for the Lord Jesus. How can there be peace? God wishes his people to depend upon him for his wonderful peace. We may choose one of two ways which we are confronted when we are confronted with the trials and sorrows of life. The world's way or God's way. The world says keep smiling. Keep a stiff upper lip, have courage, grin, and bear it. This sounds well, but when a loved one is snatched from us by death or some other sorrow or tragedy befalls us, we need more than a stiff upper lip or a smile on the face. Many a life has cracked under such a strain for lack of abiding peace in the heart. The worldly view of sorrow is empty and shallow. God's way is the only satisfying way. 
He longs for us to meet our troubles squarely with an unwavering assurance of faith that he does all things well. Thirdly, if you're, if you're taking notes, we abide in him, as we abide in him, he produces fruit in us. As we abide in him, he produces fruit in us. Like the rest of this text, when Jesus is talking about fruit, he's speaking figuratively, right? He's, he's not saying you will literally produce fruit. I don't want all you farmers out there to be super excited about this surefire way to produce fruit. He's speaking figuratively, and the fruit that he's talking about is the actions of our life. It's the lifestyle that we live. Uh, Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, carries the exact same word picture when he talks about fruit. He's talked about the fruit that's produced in a person when they have the Holy Spirit in them and guiding them and leading them. He says that the result of that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Anybody wish that that was what they lived out in their life? That they could live those things out better? That's the fruit that Jesus is talking about. And so again, the command to the believer here is not to produce fruit. The command is to abide in Christ. And the result, the byproduct of doing that will be fruitfulness. He will take care of that in us. It will be fruit that glorifies God. So let me ask you, do you want to see change in your life? When you look in the mirror, when you think about yourself and your actions, do you, do you get frustrated with what you see? Do you get like sick and tired and you're like, God oh, damn, doing it again. This is, you know, nothing's changing. Stop looking in the mirror and start looking to Christ. Do you want to see that change in others? Are there people in your life that you really just want to see change in? That you wish, man, why can't they just be more like this? Stop trying to force them. You be like Christ and you let him take care of them. And he will use your life and your example in their lives and in his timing. Uh, again, William MacDonald said in his commentary, As the children of God exhibit the likeness of Christ to the world, the Father is glorified. People are forced to confess that he must be a great God when he can transform such wicked sinners into such godly saints. Merrill Tinney said this, continued production depends on constant union with the source of faithful, of, excuse me, let me say that again, continued production, so the ongoing production of fruit in our life, depends on constant union, in other words, a constant connection with the source of fruitfulness, with the source of, of, our, of the fruit. In other words, the Lord. I read, uh, I'm reading this book right now. It's called Church History in Plain Language. It's really a, a great, great book. And in it, uh, the, the author is talking about um, the, the persecution that the early Christian church went through in, uh, during certain periods of the Roman Empire. And he was talking about why it came about and, and how, you know, why was this, uh, you know, religion, there were so many religions at, in the day, why was this religion suddenly being persecuted? He says this, he says, the word used to describe the Christian in the New Testament is highly significant. It's the term hagios, often translated saints, and we often think saints is like, you know, ah, they glow a little bit. It means holy ones, 
But its root suggests the word different. Just, just the word different. Just as if we would like look at, oh, that's different. That's, that's the same idea of this word. So a holy thing is different from other things. So a holy thing is different from other things. The temple is holy because it's different from other buildings. The Sabbath day is holy because it's different from other days. The Christian, therefore, is a person who is fundamentally different. Men always view with suspicion people who are different. Conformity, not distinctiveness, is the way to a trouble-free life. So the more early Christians took their faith seriously, the more they were in danger of crowd reaction. Thus, simply by living according to the teachings of Jesus... The Christian was a constant, unspoken condemnation of the pagan way of life. It was not that the Christian went about criticizing and condemning and disapproving, nor was he conscious, consciously self-righteous and superior. It was simply that the Christian ethic in itself was a criticism of pagan life. In other words, in the early days, the Christians abided in Christ. They lived like Christ. They let him be the source of their, their life. They mimicked their life after him and he worked in them so uh, so profoundly that it stood out that they were different from everyone else finally let me say this do not fall into the trap of comparing your fruit and your actions to those of others uh, jesus intent was to show that fruitfulness is common and typical for his followers he doesn't guarantee uniformity right? He doesn't get guarantee that every person that does this will, their fruit will look exactly like everyone else's, that you will look just like everybody else who walks after the Lord. No, you will be different. You will be unique in your own way because that's how God created you, and he will use your work the way he desires to use it. Our job is to abide in the vine, and the fruit will result. Our job is not to bear fruit. That comes through life in the vine, and our job is not to compare our fruit with other people's. Brothers, sisters, do not let your mind be consumed with the areas of your life that you need to work on. Instead, be consumed with Jesus. Be consumed with how dearly he loves you, how completely he forgives you, and how fully he wants to work through you when you open yourself up to him. Let me pray for us, and then I'm going to be down front. If you you know, if, you, if you're listening this morning, if you realize, you know, I've spent a long time going through the motions, uh, you know, saying the right words, but I've never actually been a follower of Jesus. Or maybe you think, you know, uh, I know about Jesus. I, I followed him a long time ago, and it's been a really long time since I followed him. Uh, or if there's anything else that you want to pray about, I'm going to be down front. I encourage you after, after we dismiss, um, you know, if you want to pray, I would be happy to pray with you or just talk with you uh, and let you know how you can abide in Christ and be a follower of him. Gracious Father, thank you for this morning. Uh, and as we dismiss from here, as we, as we go about our day, I, I pray that we would truly abide in you moment by moment, day by day, that it wouldn't just be uh, something where we just punch in and punch out like a time card, Lord, that we would uh, each day and each moment that we would trust in you and lean on you and draw our life from you, Lord, that you would um, work through us and change us in your timing and in your way, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. You're dismissed.